Welcome to PA Nation, the entertainment podcast about life below the line. I'm your host, Cooper Peltz. On this episode, we talk to audio engineer and producer Emma Erdbrink, who started her career editing audio for industrials before finding her way into the LA podcasting landscape with shows like High and Mighty and Doughboys. We discuss how driving Lyft got her her first podcasting job, helpful mindsets for freelancers, and what it's really like to be part of the Emerson Mafia. If you enjoy the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Those two things make all the difference for us to be able to make more more of these episodes for you. If you'd like to contact us, please feel free to email us at panationpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram at panationpodcast. All right, thanks for giving this a listen. Here we go. She has been a key part of some of your favorite podcasts, including a few of Bill Burr's series, uh, High and Mighty with John Gabris, and of course, Doughboys with Nick Weiger and Mike Mitchell. This is Emma Erdbrink. Hi, Emma. Hi. How's it going? How's your How's your pandemic stuff? I, I feel like podcasting is one of those, uh, like, thankfully, like, pandemic-proof uh, jobs. Is that kind of how it is? Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody expected it to be as pandemic proof as it is, but the pivot to remote uh, podcasting was an interesting transition, but it happened quick and it seems to work pretty well, better than I think a lot of people expected. Yeah, that's awesome. How do you, just like out of my own curiosity, how is your, do you, you do it like over Zoom, right? Like how is your process? Yeah, uh, we try to couple of different things in the beginning um zoom we like zoom because of the video component it's nice to be able to see people we don't i mean we don't some of my shows that i work on will do we use the video but not for doughboys or anything but um it's also just i don't know it's a it's as close to social interaction as you can get now i guess with with zoom so (laughs) it's kind of nice but yeah we just record everything on zoom and then everybody sends me their self-recorded files and I spend a lot of time staring at Pro Tools, syncing it all up and making it sound like we're in the same room. Oh, boy. Yeah, it sounds so it sounds so clean. So good. Um, it's oh, really it's so impressive. nice to hear. <laughs> Have you had any time to like because like, you know, I'm kind of, uh, you know, between things right now just because of like physical production being down. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing like a lot of like self like the thing I decided this week is like, OK, I'm going to learn how to type really fast. And that's <laughs> so difficult. Have you done any like uh any of those like random like, OK, maybe I'll try to like learn this hobby or do this thing. Yeah, I mean, by I haven't set out specifically for that. Um, I was thinking the other day about how my my Pro Tools skills have definitely gotten much stronger in this time because I'm, I'm my mixing style and everything in my production style in the post-production world has gotten very different because of the remote stuff. And it's challenging in a way, but also challenging in a way where I'm learning and I'm definitely much faster than I was six months ago at certain Mm -hmm. things which is great um but luckily I've been so busy with work stuff that I haven't had too much dead time to try and fill I started running again I guess that's my (laughs) my thing (laughs) for now but I'm also on the east coast at the moment and it's gonna get cold again soon so I don't know how long that'll last I don't like running (laughs) in the cold so yeah, we'll I I'm from San Diego, so it's like I I don't even know what cold is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've spent my entire life in California. I'm like I I don't even know, I don't know what that would be like. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's one of those things we were just talking how the air here is starting to feel crisp in the fall. Mm-hmm. The feeling of fall, like the smell of fall is in the air, which is beautiful and also kind of somber because it means the winter is coming. So mm, winter is coming. <laughs> Enjoying the last bits of sunshine we can. Yeah, exactly. And here it's just like you feel like you're in like Mordor or something like that with all the smoke. It's like, yeah. you escaped it good yeah i escaped the smoke for i guess the winter i don't know i wasn't (laughs) planning on being on the east coast as long i left la at the end of may and i was like oh we'll go for a few weeks kind of get out of the city get some fresh air feel things out and it's been three months and i'm still here so (laughs) yeah yeah but it's are you staying with your family or you do you have a place out there no i have yeah my family my family's here and they have a house on the on the beach in maine so i've been very close to the ocean which is cathartic and healing in and of itself so that's been a true blessing that's awesome so did you grow up in maine where did you grow up i grew up in new hampshire so about 45 minutes from where i'm at now and my parents still have that house but i mean why would i stay i mean (laughs) the woods in new hampshire is beautiful but like why do that when you can be by the ocean you know (laughs) the northeast is weird because we have a lot of little states Mm -hmm. instead of you know like the west coast where you have basically california (laughs) Uh (laughs) especially coming from san diego i'm sure um yeah but yeah, a lot of times people will ask where I'm from and I say the seacoast of New Hampshire and they're like, New Hampshire doesn't have seacoast. And I'm like, oh no, <laughs> it definitely does. It's only about 18 miles of it, but it does exist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a very select, uh, select group of people that are, that can say they're from there. Right. Exactly. It's, <laughs> it's a wild place. So, uh, growing up, were you like exposed to the arts at all? Like where you are, is your town like kind of like rural? Like where, what was that like? Yeah. I grew up in Exeter new hampshire it's a small town with a a bit of a bigger attitude there's a big private school in my in that town um called phillips exeter so it has like a weird collegey vibe even though it's a high school um Mm -hmm. i didn't go there i went to the public school in the same town (laughs) um but my dad's a musician um i'm actually currently sitting at his mix station in the Mm. in this house with his all of his equipment around me so um that's probably where it all stems from um yeah but yeah he's a musician and i i sang a lot in high school and did a lot of musical theater and um i studied classical uh, vocal techniques for four years while i was in high school um so yeah i was more on the music side of things when i was younger and then uh i wanted to go to college for vocal performance and my dad said no (laughs) (laughs) that's what he studied so he was like no maybe do something a little more on the technical side and he kind of pushed me towards the audio engineering side of things which thank god he did (laughs) yeah in the moment where you like dad like just let me (laughs) live my life that's what i want (laughs) to do um i don't think so i think i was I he his the way he framed it was more like you can still do that but I would study the technical side of things so that you have something to make you some money while you pursue the the artistic side of things you know you got to yeah. be able to live your life comfortably and whatever but um yeah and then I went I went to college I auditioned for a few like acapella groups and stuff my freshman year and then I kind of stopped participating in the performance side of things um and I think I realized that my dad was kind of right and that like I wasn't that wasn't the right path for me even though Mm. you know my 16 year old self thought I was going to be like the next Britney Spears or something um (laughs) I absolutely was not (laughs) and 
<laughs> I am much now a much more comfortable uh behind the camera than in front of it or behind yeah. uh, a mix board. Um yeah. I almost said not in front of a microphone, but I guess that's kind of a lie at this point. <laughs> yeah, you, I I want to talk about that uh a little later. Get like that transition is so interesting to me, but um I love finding like these like kind of common through lines uh with all our different guests having these kind of like more artistic uh bents of like i want to you know vocal performance or i want to you know write or direct or whatever it is and then having the i don't know having the 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 mindset of like well maybe i'll study like cinematography because then i can get my hands on like cameras Mm -hmm. and learn like a technical skill while i'm still like you know pursuing directing or whatever yeah and having those like two parallel um you know experiences and like developments of skills um, I feel like it's such a such an important underrated um, thing to do, like when you're developing, like what you want to do in your life. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's I, I mean, my parents were always very supportive of of whatever I wanted to do. They would. I mean, if I was like, no, I'm going to go to school for vocal performance, they would have had my back. Um, mm-hmm. But I value their advice. So I took it. And my dad actually found Emerson College, which is where I went to college. Um, and we went and toured it. And I was like, this is my place. These are my people. I love it here. I want to go here. If I can't, if I don't get in, I'm going to be devastated. Um, oh, no. And so then I got in. So that was <laughs> that, that was great. Um, and then I showed up and I was like, oh, shit, this is a film school. Wait, do you curse uh, on this? Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. OK, cool. <laughs> um, don't want to offend anybody. But um, uh-huh. yeah, I like didn't fully understand that it was a film school until I got there, which is pretty bad research on my part. Um, <laughs> but it worked out. I was like completely stumbled into I mean, my degrees in sound design and audio post-production for film and television, technically. Mm-hmm. Um and I completely stumbled into that. If you had asked my high school self what that was, I would have been like, I don't know. So it's, it was a complete accident that I ended up there, but it definitely was like the path I was supposed to be on. And it felt that way, which was great. And yeah, I was super lucky. I mean, my dad to this day runs a charter school in New Hampshire for the arts called the Greater oh, State cool. Arts Academy. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it's a it's a high school that's um, it's a public charter high school that that uh, you can kind of specialize in music dance or theater which is really cool and i always say that if that had existed when i was in high school i a thousand percent would have gone there instead of you know your generic public school which i think public schools notoriously have some arts funding issues (laughs) so to speak (laughs) yeah it's so cool to to hear that i went to a charter school uh high school and it was like art like our sports like teams were not the like big thing like our big mm-hmm. draw was like the theater program and stuff right. like that and it was just so it was so fun like it was such like a a different vibe from so much of what you see in like teen movies and stuff like that yeah you know? totally i also think that can provide some like a sort of a, a refuge for place for people who find comfort in the arts and work i mm-hmm. mean i think a lot of people who work in the arts professionally as adults would have killed to have more artistic support as young teens or kids yeah um, and i think it's super important to find those places and i think there he definitely has a lot of students that are their lives are changed for their experience for their high school experience being what it was versus what it could have been yeah totally Totally. Did you, when you were in high school, were you like playing around on Pro Tools and stuff like that? Like, did you, you know, were were you recording your own voice? Like, if like uh, in your mind, you're like, okay, I want to do, you know, I want to sing or whatever it is. And were you kind of doing that technical side of things kind of inadvertently? Um, Maybe a little bit more. I didn't record myself so much as my dad recorded me. He had mm. a little home recording studio where he recorded a lot of his music and stuff. So when my sister and I started being like, I want to, 
I want to sing stuff. I want to record things. I want to cover this song or whatever it is. He would do it for us in, you know, just the spare room in our house in New Hampshire. And we had a lot of fun with it. But he uses Logic a lot, um, which I admittedly don't really know much about. It's funny how I grew up so much in the music side of things. And I Uh don't really work in music (laughs) at all. My dad was trying to set something up that's like a MIDI controller the other day. And I was kind of lost on it. I was like, I haven't (laughs) touched this stuff in years. I can't remember how any of this works. Um, And so it's it's funny how I ended up in like the same technical side of things, but in Uh a completely different spot. Uh, yeah. But yeah, we recorded a lot of stuff as kids and with kids I went to high school with and my dad worked with our high school music program a lot and we made uh-huh. some little demos that I hope never <laughs> see the light of day at this point. But. <laughs> so uh, what like what is the first project that you remember for kind of film or TV or, or you know, vocal recording like in college? Do you remember like some of your first projects and yeah. do you think they were any good at this point like from a technical <laughs> point of view or hmm. yeah how, how? Um, <laughs> ooh, I don't know if I would say good I think the first project I worked on it was actually one of the first p- projects I did in college at all it was like my first semester freshman year like intro to film class um and we had to make a stop motion with uh I can't remember the camera I think it was just like a Canon DSLR of some type and I was like oh that's fun and I like went with one of my roommates to the park and like it was just like I was gonna do just like a stop motion of her walking through the park and I learned really quickly how hard stop motion is and how many pictures (laughs) you actually have to take to see anything uh it's very difficult um (laughs) way harder than you think it is and Mm -hmm. but I remember when I finally got the pictures and stuff into I think we were using final cut my favorite part of it was putting the sound effects in and like finding the sound of like leaves ruffling and like crunching when she stepped on them and like things like that and I think that was I was like I remember sitting there being like oh this is what I'm gonna do for the next four years this is sick (laughs) but no I don't think that would be technically good at all if you were to watch it now (laughs) but it's cool to have that moment for yourself where you're like okay this is something that I feel like I have the potential to grow in and because so much I feel like so much of like creative stuff depends at least for me depends on like other people's feedback in Mm -hmm. like kind of an unhealthy way totally that's something that like I feel like people in general and myself definitely uh like need to kind of get away from and it's cool Mm -hmm. to find something where you're just like I don't really care like what you know my professor said like obviously like I don't want to flunk this class but like I just like enjoy this thing and yeah I feel like that's another like underrated thing to think about when you're like trying to explore your you know creative yeah totally yeah and it makes you happy yeah I would say that the things that you you know find the most challenging and maybe even the projects that you hate the most in their final project product like if you look back at them and you're like wow that was actually so bad you probably learned more (laughs) making that than you did the ones that you come out and you're like that's dynamite you know what I mean like the ones that really challenge you are the ones that teach you more and that's like like those college projects like no I probably won't show them to anyone ever again but (laughs) I learned so much doing them and that's one of the things I loved about being at Emerson is there was such a strong emphasis on how important extracurricular stuff was as well as your classes like classes are really important but they really really wanted you to go out and make movies with your friends go out and do the extracurricular stuff work on you know your side projects and work with your peers and network that way and I think that's a lot of the reason I ended up where I ended up today where I am today is because of that learning how to network in that way and then that like yeah your classes are super important go to class 
read the books, you know, listen to your professors and soak up what knowledge they have for you. But really, they're not here to just like download their knowledge into your brain and be like, now go (laughs) use it. They're here to be like, hey, here's a platform for you to like fuck around and explore and maybe make some big mistakes with this camera or this microphone or whatever. But like learn from it. It's not, Mm -hmm. you know, just because it's not perfect doesn't mean it was like a total loss, you know? Yeah, I feel like that's a really cool thing about Boston and general it feels like i've only been to boston a couple times but it feels like such a uh inclusive well maybe not (laughs) in general but like (laughs) as far as like artistic stuff goes like inclusive as uh, as far as like um you know musicians are working with uh Mm -hmm. filmmakers and all of that kind of stuff yeah um and it is like a very like communal place i feel like just maybe it has something to do with like the the geography of it where it's like so many like really great art schools are so close together yeah i think it's definitely like the amount of colleges that are there and the amount of young you know energy that's in the city which you know for better or worse for the state of the city i don't know that that has this like constantly transient population but Mm -hmm. part of that was part of what i loved was that emerson was part of what they called the colleges of the fenway and Mm -hmm. so was berkeley so i was able to cross register and take i took ear training at berkeley and i took a couple of yeah i took a few classes there which was great and like it was definitely more musical folk musically focused than what i was doing at emerson but it also kind of helped me keep that like music history thing that i had from my past that i loved and i was Mm -hmm. you know in a class with these great musicians who could sight read sheet music like they were born doing it and i was sitting (laughs) in the back like holy shit where are we what was that (laughs) what what key is this i'm so lost um so i struggled a little bit with it but it was a it was a great learning experience and I met a lot of people through those classes that I ended up working with that scored films I worked on or they acted in the films that we were working on or it was like a very collaborative environment in a lot of ways and I ended up TAing for a professor there after I graduated for a year which was really cool and it was it's that that like symbiotics like you know we have a great music program you have a great film program films need music musicians want to score films like let's work together on it this is that's exactly how it should be yeah that's so uh that's just like such a dream situation that like it it makes me want to go back to school and like do that (laughs) like i had such an opposite situation yeah i'm like damn i forgot how great college was in some way i know yeah yeah (laughs) well that's one of the beauty things about beautiful things about college is like it is kind of a trial period in a way like Mm -hmm. You can you can kind of like lean on the well, I'm still a student thing and I'm mm-hmm. still learning thing. So you can be super experimental. And I think a lot of people lose that when they leave college where they're like, OK, I'm a professional now. Got to make everything perfect. No more fuck ups. And it's like, no, mm-hmm. that's not that's not how the world <laughs> works, man. Like yeah. you, it's you have in college that excuse in the back of your mind like, oh, it's fine. I'm a student. So if this isn't good, it's fine. I'm still learning. And it's like, well, the truth is when you get that cap and gown and walk across that stage after four years in college, you're still a student like you're still always learning and if you don't you know if you're not willing to keep learning then you're not going to go very far yeah yeah oh beautiful beautiful (laughs) pull quote (laughs) put that Um, on instagram (laughs) exactly um so (laughs) so when you are like you know still in school you're you're i'm assuming like going out for you know internships or you know Mm -hmm. different jobs and stuff like that was it difficult at first coming from you know not really having much of a resume in that world like how did you get past that like I feel like that is the most difficult part where it's just like I don't have a resume like how am I supposed to like 
get a job how did you did you pad your resume like how what was that process like uh yeah that's the one of the things i still think about where like things will be like it's an entry-level job but it requires four years of experience and you're like yeah, well, then that's so not insane. an entry-level job don't lie to me just tell me how it is uh but <laughs> yeah i think i don't remember exactly what i did with my resume i'm sure it was pretty padded i mean you it's hard to like apply for an internship at like a marketing agency and be like i scanned groceries for four years in high school and babysat some kids um but yeah, I, I, I had a lot of internships while I was in school and I don't remember why I did that. I think it was more the first one I had my roommate, uh, one of my ro- sweet mates, um, my sophomore year of college also had an it. She already had an internship at this like marketing agency thing that is no longer and it did not succeed at all. But she was a marketing major. And so she had this internship and they were looking for someone to edit like music, stock music into loops or something like that and she was like is that something you can do and I was like hell yeah so she got me an internship there and we only we both worked there um I worked we didn't get paid but we were both (laughs) there for like six months and then the boss guy was kind of creepy and weird and we were like you know I don't want to do this anymore and we left and the company doesn't exist anymore but that was it was kind of one of those things where I was like that was a weird experience don't know if I learned that much from it, but it's something to put on the resume that's current and in the industry. Mm-hmm. So I'll take it. Yeah, totally. And I kind of just looked like I looked around at studios in the area, things that were like walking distance from campus and stuff and tried to find things that I could be like, hey, can I stop by for Can I like intern? I'll come clean studios for like two hours in between classes or something like just anything to kind of get in the door um, to talk to people. Um, and I interned at a studio in Boston. It's still there called Cybersound Studios. It was like a music studio. They do a lot of hip hop stuff. Mm. Uh, and that was a lot of fun. And I'm mostly there. I just cleaned the studio, got water for people, answered phones, booked, you know, sessions and stuff, mm-hmm. which sounds kind of mundane. But at the end of the day, and I'm sure you experience this with your podcast too, scheduling stuff mm-hmm. and organizing the schedules of things is 90% of the yeah. job. Yeah. So it's a valuable lesson to learn to answer the phones and like run the calendar for a little uh-huh. bit as as mundane as it is. You're, I'm still doing it. I'm sure you're still doing <laughs> uh-huh. it. Like we're all still doing yeah. it. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. Like uh, it's hard to understate how important the like nuts and bolts of assistant work is mm-hmm. and how totally oh, it's I don't know when I started I there are like common sense things that like I didn't even think about like you know just like how to answer a phone for a company is like something mm-hmm. that I was like oh I, I actually like don't know how to do this I should probably <laughs> hear someone else do it before me totally uh, yeah it's like it's such like a bizarre because in your mind you have it built up as like oh yeah like when I you know enter this building I'll just like be a professional I'll just like know what to do yeah I'll just like put my professional work my professional face on and put my shoulders back and I'll be good it's like but no that's not all that it entails exactly (laughs) yeah you have to like I don't know get used to like the vibe of the office and all of that stuff like Mm -hmm. especially like in your first internship like knowing like okay I probably shouldn't be around this person like that much right like this person gives me bad vibes okay then leave because bad vibes are bad vibes and if that's how you feel that's how you feel and you shouldn't be around that (laughs) absolutely yeah it's 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 really I don't know that was very fun for me like starting out was like oh I'm learning I guess it's with anything when you're like starting out like my typing it's like you know your improvements are much more dramatic because you're starting from zero right 
and you're like oh i'm learning how to you know interact with these people and then once you're you know a, a few years in or whatever it is your improvements don't seem as like major or anything like that like you're fine tuning at that point and it's not quite as totally fun like you ha- kind of have to find your like excitement in other ways um mm-hmm. and yeah i don't know when you have to you find your you see your progress in different ways too mm-hmm. like when you're when you're first starting out the stuff you're learning seems simple or mundane or whatever but it's it's easy to go oh a year ago i was you know a pa mm-hmm. and now i'm an assistant to someone or whatever you yeah. can it's easier to when you're first starting out things change rapidly mm-hmm. So it's easier, but like I was saying earlier, like in the past six months, my pro tool skills have definitely gotten more fine tuned and, and I've gotten much faster at certain things because I have to do them so much more now Mm -hmm. than I did before. And my mixing style has changed because I've had to adapt. And it's one of those things, it's very minor. And if you went and listened to an episode I recorded in January versus one that I'm doing now, they probably don't sound that different, Mm -hmm. but I can look at my sessions and be like those are different i've learned stuff in the past six months but those changes and those differences are so minor to most people Mm -hmm. that it's not you you're not gonna it's not as recognizable so people aren't gonna be like look at you learning and (laughs) progressing and whatever it's really just you noticing your own growth and not and not getting i don't know validation from other people and learning that you shouldn't seek the validation from other Mm -hmm. people like if you feel like you've grown and gotten better at you know typing or mixing (laughs) or running or waking up at the same time every day or whatever it is like if you recognize that and you're like I've gotten better at this then that's the only recognition you really need yeah and especially in kind of I'm sure in a lot of industries there are the kind of bosses that are not um don't subscribe to the idea of like positive feedback being important Mm -hmm. but I feel like especially in entertainment there's like a lot of that right that can really wear on you and I feel like going into uh, you know, if you're just starting out or if you're starting a new job or whatever it is, going into it being like, I don't need this person's praise, you know, to feel good about myself. Like I can set goals for myself and feel like I'm improving on my own. Totally. Um, I feel like that's a great way to like keep your sanity in like some jobs that, you know, are kind of soul crushing. They feel thankless. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And especially like when you're first starting out in like PA world mm-hmm. or, you know, internship world, like you don't even have, especially when you're interning and I don't know if this is different now but like I never got paid for any of my internships and so you don't even have a paycheck to validate Mm -hmm. the work that you did like you can't even like go buy yourself dinner because you worked (laughs) today like you actually need to go like steal a bagel from the dining hall so you can have breakfast tomorrow morning you know what I mean like it's not it's there's little to no validation and I do think that that side of things is a little harsh like I think I think you should probably get paid for internships. Although yeah. it de- I think it depends. Like I got really lucky. I worked, um, I had a professor at Emerson. Uh, he was an adjunct instructor technically. So he worked full time at Soundtrack Boston, which is a huge studio in Boston. They mix a lot of commercials and um, they do some film work and it's a, it's a great studio. And I had a professor, Brian McKeever, who worked there and he actually would teach his class there because their, their facilities were actually way better than what we had at Emerson. Mm-hmm. And they were willing to let him teach his classes there so he would have put us in different studios and let us use you know their boards and their sound effects libraries and kind of get a vibe for what it is to be in that professional setting which was a huge plus and I loved his class so much I ended up interning for him for a couple of years at soundtrack um and then I and then he ended up is was the uh professor that went over and taught at Berkeley and I ended up TAing for him there uh 
and I still I still hit him up every once in a while. He's a great mixer and he's an awesome audio guy, super audio nerd, and I love that about him. <laughs> but he he very much was like, You're not getting paid for this. So like if I couldn't, you know, if I had a lot of work to do and it was every Wednesday I was there and I was like, I have too much to do. I really need to mix this project. It's finals or whatever. He was like, No problem, have a good one. I'll see you next week. Like That's he so cool. was very which was great because it was when I'm there, I'm in, I'm here and I'm paying attention and I'm learning. And if I have a million things to do and I'm not going to benefit from this day, you're not going to benefit from my presence either. So, and he completely recognized that. And it was like, you're slammed. Okay, go do your work. We'll touch base or like, oh, can I do Friday this week instead of Wednesday? And he was like, yeah, no problem. Come by. So um, that was, I appreciated that. And I, th- I wish there were more internships kind of like that yeah. where it's like if you, because at the end of the day, that's putting what a, the experience I get out of that internship is entirely on me. Mm-hmm. And a lot of internships are like, you're lucky to be here. You're lucky we're willing to teach you this stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, yeah, you're right. I am lucky to be here. And if I'm going to be here, I should fully take advantage mm-hmm. of what it is that you're offering me and if I'm not going to take advantage of that today doesn't benefit either of us for me to be here does it yeah yeah it feels almost I thinking about these terms more maybe it doesn't fit but to me my initial reaction is like that feels a little bit more like an apprenticeship or like a mentorship Mm -hmm. rather than like an internship and I feel like totally and I do refer to Brian as my mentor so that makes sense (laughs) that's awesome like that's so important to find those kinds of people like uh in your life and I feel like that I don't know it just seems like why be why be of the mind of like these interns like you know because I feel like that's like a pretty common attitude to have Mm -hmm. towards people rather than like being encouraging and stuff and now you both have like this kind of symbiotic relationship where you know it seems like you maybe throw him stuff and you know it's like that kind of thing I don't know it just seems like a a much more productive way to live your life yeah (laughs) totally totally it's just yeah I think a lot of internships are like go clean the bathrooms and like that's fine you should go clean the bathrooms Mm -hmm. you're new here like go do some work prove like whatever Mm -hmm. I cleaned plenty of bathrooms. I got, I picked up so, and I did that for Brian. Every day, every time I was there, I would go pick up the client's lunch mm-hmm. and I would set it out on plates with silverware. And if they wanted coffee in the afternoon, I would go get coffee. If they wanted cocktails, I would go make cocktails, like whatever. Mm-hmm. You're, you're still, I don't like the attitude of people that are like, I don't want to do the bitch work. Yeah. Like do the bitch work. Yeah. I mean, we all scrub our own toilets at home or at least <laughs> I hope we do. So like, what's the difference if you have to scrub the one in the studio too? Yeah. It takes 10 minutes. Yeah. Who cares? You know, yeah, it's, it's like def- fine. It's totally like, especially in entertainment where there is like so much of like the freelance world is like, you know, jumping mm-hmm. from project to project. And sometimes, you know, you have a higher mm-hmm. station at one job and then you, you know, your next job, you're like, you know, bumped down a peg or whatever it is and but you still like want to have that air of like no i was a supervising producer at this place so like this is actually what i should be doing rather than like okay so i'm like you know whatever producer whatever it is right i'm just gonna like i'm gonna do the work and i'm gonna be helpful and then i'm gonna give myself the opportunity to you know get promoted at this job or whatever it is you know yeah I find I think it's important to like not focus too much on like titles and stuff I think that's such a that's such a huge thing in Hollywood it's like oh I was I was the he's just the associate producer Uh I'm the producer and it's like you guys are doing the same job like don't get caught up in the not the same job every every and every situation is different Mm -hmm. but like I genuinely think people get so caught up in like having a title or you know they desire a title which is kind of how it is in film school it's like oh i want to be a director Mm -hmm. i want to be a producer i want to be a supervising sound engineer or whatever and it's like if you're not 
if you don't have that title, you're failing. Mm-hmm. And that's not true at all. Yeah. And, you know, titles are titles and they're important. But the truth is, do you enjoy the work that you're doing? Do you enjoy the people that you're working with? Do you feel good about the product you're putting out? And if that answers to all of those are yes, then who cares what they call yeah. you? As long as, you know, you're having a good time and, you know, making a living that you can live off yeah. of. <laughs> I think it's definitely like, even though you're maybe, you know, you're not doing the same job like you were saying it's like we're all working on the same project like we're all trying to make this the best thing it can be totally like you have a supervising title and i don't but at the end of the day our names are both going on this project Mm -hmm. so if it's not good it doesn't (laughs) matter who was supervising or who wasn't we both suffer so like we're all in this together kind of Uh um and i don't know if you find the same way but i feel like people outside of hollywood like family members and stuff when they're like what is it that you do it's like (laughs) Hmm, it depends on the day yeah. it depends on who called me yesterday mm-hmm. like I don't, exactly. it depends on which job i'm doing <laughs> um do you are you freelance do you freelance Is i that freelance now uh like i had like a pretty steady job uh with amc but like because of all of this stuff it's like it's essentially freelance now yeah totally yeah so it's just like it's i'm kind of like very new to the freelance world because i've been lucky to kind of like bounce from thing to thing that are at mm-hmm. least like a three-month job you know totally so yeah it's just like it's really bizarre to have to feel like you know having a hard time explaining what it is exactly you do to people Mm -hmm. and a lot of the time they're just being nice and they don't actually really care like what you do right or they're like waiting for you to drop a famous person's name exactly yeah so it's like well like i don't know like i worked on you know whatever it is and then i feel like that's enough for for most people yeah most of the time i'm just like oh yeah i work for bill burr and then my family members are like that's so cool oh my god bill burr (laughs) and i'm like yeah it's fun but that's it's like i know that's what you want to hear you don't want to hear about how we're recording everything on zoom now Mm -hmm. and then everyone sends me their audio files and i convert them and import them and mix them like you don't want to hear that (laughs) that's not what you want yeah Yeah, they're like what's a pro tool exactly So how long were you in Boston? You were there for a little while, right? Yeah, I was there for like six years. Uh, I did four years in school and then I stayed for a little while after I graduated because I had zero dollars to my name <laughs> and couldn't afford to move anywhere. Uh-huh. Um, and I I, bar- I PA'd uh, right after college for this company in Norwood, Massachusetts. They made like corporate training videos. and Nice. Um, we did a commercial for a local liquor store. It was like a local production uh-huh. company kind That's of. That's awesome. Love industrials. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I PA'd there uh, for like six months and then I just bartended for a few years and uh, busted butt to put money in my bank account so that I could move to Los Angeles. Nice. Were you ever, was it ever a decision between like New York, Chicago, LA, or was it always just like, Mm -hmm. I gotta go, I gotta go to LA. That's where I'm seeing things happen. Totally. I definitely weighed all of the options. And actually Brian, my mentor was like, don't stay in Boston. He was like, you can always come back to Boston and there's work here, but you should go try some, you're here, you've interned here, you've seen what's around, like go try a different city, see what's up. And if you want to come back here, you can always come back. My family's in New England. So like this is home, Boston. I could totally live in Boston and be comfortable there. Mm -hmm. Um, But I wanted to try something new. And I did way new york versus la more so i never really thought about chicago as an option which is probably not fair to chicago <laughs> but a lot of my friends were already going to la and uh and a, there was a decent number of people i knew going to new york too but la just sounded nice i really i grew up in new england and i was just really loving the idea of no winter 
yeah that's an and important at the end of the day consider. that yeah that really won out yeah. <laughs> um over new york and i do love new york i have uh it's a great city and i would love to live there someday and maybe i will who knows, who knows? but yeah la just kind of felt like the right move at that point mm-hmm. and it was kind of like if i'm ever gonna just like pick up and move across the country might as well do it now i was 22 or 23 like Mm -hmm. fuck it why not like let's give it a shot and if i hate it i can always come home so i just i don't know i ended up in la and my roommate i had lived with my roommate maddie for at that point we had lived together all through college and she was going to move to la too and i was like well we already live well together so we might as well just go do this yeah (laughs) yeah that's great i that's that was my sister's experience too she's like lived with her roommate for i think almost like 10 years I'm like, oh, that's Yeah, we actually great. just stopped living together oh. in January. Oh. And uh, we had been living together for eight years. She got a job at Facebook and moved to San Francisco. Ooh. So it was all good things. It was a wonderful... I was so excited for her. Bummer to not live with her anymore, but super stoked for yeah. her. So can't be mad. Is there any truth to the Emerson Mafia? Are you part of mm-hmm. the Emerson Mafia? A hundred percent. I think it's kind of like what I was saying earlier, how they encouraged us to go out and work a lot with our peers. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, we're all going to end up in this industry and you're going to need to call people and you're going to be on a set and we're going to be like, oh shit, we need a sound mixer or we need a cinematographer or a director or whatever. And you have this catalog of people in your pocket that you've already worked with, that you know their work and you know they're good at it, mm-hmm. which was cool. And so it's definitely a th- thing um actually bill burr went to emerson which uh i think is really funny (laughs) and um i actually met it's funny i met him when i was a student there we did an award show every year called the evies Mm -hmm. and i was the first year i worked on it i was like a a2 backstage like i just like put everybody's mics on and took Mm -hmm. them off and made sure the batteries were charged and stuff and i put a mic on bill burr for him to uh give out a, an award or something and it was it's just funny now when i i was like working with him in the studio when i first started working for uh all things comedy uh-huh. and, and he introduced himself to me i was like we actually met a couple <laughs> years ago not that i expected him to remember me uh-huh. at all but i was like you were um giving an award out at emerson college and he was like oh did you go to emerson and i was like yeah and he was like great school great school and i was like yes it is <laughs> that's awesome so it, it's like oh that's fun but actually the first job i got in la was through uh a girl i went to college with with and worked with in college and she was like hey the engineering department at marketplace is looking for engineers are you interested and i was like yep <laughs> and she put me on an email with uh the head of engineering over there and i started like a week later wow. and that was the first real job i had in the industry in la and it was entirely because this girl i used to party with in college was like yo girl <laughs> you want a job and i was like yeah let's go yeah that's the dream that's the dream <laughs> yeah, honestly and that's totally. so that's so i feel like so many people don't have that built in network like i feel like the the big like other than like you know usc or whatever it is um like i feel like the chicago oh what is it columbia and chicago like that's Mm -hmm, another big one that's like so many of my friends like went there and and i feel like everyone that pas at like the late late show like went to (laughs) columbia Mm -hmm. and chicago (laughs) and like yeah it's just it's it's I wish they I wish there there was an easy way for people who are like looking at schools to find that out where it's like, okay, here's like a school like Emerson or Columbia or, you know, wherever that's like, okay, there's a strong like alumni group in LA or like, yeah, because I feel like I didn't when I was looking at schools, like I didn't go to school for anything like that. I went to school for history. But oh, cool. Like when I was like, I applied to like, you know, UCLA and wherever else. But mm-hmm. there was no I didn't have I couldn't find like, okay, this is the school where you if you like want to work, this is a school to go to where it's like you'll have a built in network, all of this stuff. 
stuff. Right. Other than like the obvious, you know, like UCLA, mm-hmm. I was like, I'm sure like people know each other there, <laughs> you know, right. that kind of thing. but I feel like they're like, I feel like Columbia or Emerson are kind of these like, um, kind of more incognito or like you don't necessarily think of them the first thing you think of, of like, you know, right. you don't, school. yeah, it's, you don't, yeah, it's, it's kind of like a little secret. It's like a little inside joke sort of. Yeah. Um, but I think part of it too is like, at least for, I can only really speak for my experience with Emerson, but I think part of it is that they teach you to network mm-hmm. in a way, like not, not so blatantly as like go out and network but like they teach you to like you have to make student films and stuff Mm -hmm. and they're not gonna put you in groups and be like okay you're the director you're the cinematographer you're the sound op like they're just like find the people you work well with and go make a movie and (laughs) it has to be x minutes long or it has to say whatever it has to tell this story or whatever it is the depends on the teacher in the class and whatever but there you have to go do it yourself. Like Mm -hmm. they're not going to hold your hand. And I think part of that is like, you have to hold your own crew calls and you have to hold interviews and you have to interview your peers to work on your movie. Mm -hmm. And I think that practice within the school, at least at Emerson, I don't know if other schools do it similarly, but I assume they do. Um, I think that practice teaches you to constantly be networking. And it's funny. I was just talking to my old roommate uh, earlier today about this, about how like Hollywood really is all about reputation and I couldn't I think I sent my resume to marketplace when my friend introduced me to that to the boss there and that might be the last time I've sent my resume to someone wow I don't think any of the jobs I've had since then asked for my resume it was entirely like word of mouth reputation that I ended up in different places which is crazy to me that is crazy but it really is like a reputation town which is can be good and bad I think but like you I think you kind of have to be willing to like you have to be full of yourself enough to constantly be promoting yourself Mm -hmm. until you get to a point where your work promotes you for it yeah you you know <laughs> yeah i don't know if that made any no, sense yeah. but it made sense in my head yeah, that was, that's that's totally true and it's something where one of the dangers of that like it's great if you're in a place where you're like oh this is the thing that i want to do but if you're in a place where you're like you know you're doing reality you know like, you know, like you're you're mm-hmm. working on the bachelor or whatever and then it's like oh we have you know Love Island is doing something. It's like, oh, well, I produced The Bachelor. Like, I guess I'll just like hop over to Love Island or whatever it is. But then your heart isn't like in like (laughs) dating shows or like reality TV. (laughs) You're like, oh, I actually want to be like a writer, you know, whatever it is. You get stuck in those ruts. You can kind of get shoehorned into it. Exactly. It's almost like typecasting. Yeah. like, yeah, totally. So it's definitely something to like when you're in that right spot, it's like there's nothing better. But then when you feel like you're you're on the outside of something that you wish you could be in, you're like, oh, how do I how do I get in there? It's like such a. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to get your foot in the door. Yeah, exactly. And that's like, you know, the the that's you know a cool thing about a reputation town where like your reputation can kind of speak for itself mm-hmm. and when the also the downside of it is that you kind of get you kind of just keep hiring the same people then you're not really opening up avenues to like see things differently or try different processes and that's why i think certain things in hollywood are a little outdated and a little archaic in the way that they function because it's so many people just like calling the same people that have been doing the same thing for 20 years and there's nothing wrong with that they're probably very good at it but there's also nothing wrong with hiring someone who's never done it before Mm -hmm. and holding their hand a little bit because they're green and teaching it to them because they'll probably have a really fresh new perspective on Mm -hmm. it and you can learn a lot from that yeah totally and i feel like that's such a cool opportunity you get when you are freelance 
experience because you are there's that opportunity to you know be tossed into the mix with people you've never met before Mm -hmm. even though there are those kind of ruts that you're in but like every so often you're like oh this is a new person and like they have a cool you know perspective or whatever it is yeah was that what was your experience kind of going from were you doing like freelance work in addition to working at marketplace yeah so my i was actually technically a freelance engineer for marketplace um i was like kind of an on-call situation although it was like pretty regular like three days a week nine to five type thing um and then i would drive lift when i left there uh which was a lot of fun Uh but yeah i was always looking for freelance stuff and then eventually actually through a passenger i had in my car for lift he was also an engineer and we ended up getting coffee one day just to talk about like the freelance world and you know how to we were both kind of like stuck looking for work sort of and we got coffee and he actually got offered a job at what used to be feral audio mm-hmm. and then he uh, got offered a different job that was full-time and he was looking for full he preferred the idea of a full-time job and he texted me and was like hey i got this job that i can't actually take do you want it and i was like can you do that is it yours <laughs> to give away uh but yeah of course i want yeah. it and so i went in i went into interview for it and that's how i ended up working for starburns and feral audio which is how i met doughboys wow so it's it is really all very I just keep stumbling through into <laughs> things like I stumbled into working in film at all because I didn't even know the college I agreed to go to was a film school till I <laughs> shut up like I just keep stumbling uh-huh. and I don't know why that works but it seems to work for me so I'm not fighting it I just like if someone throws a job my way I'm like hell yeah I'll try that yeah. and if I hate it I won't take it next time but it's worth a try yeah if you don't think about it too too hard it's it's such a nice ride but then what if you ever get like you know too in your head about it you have like a, a nervous breakdown I feel like yeah exactly I mean it's a nice ride when you're looking back on it and you're like yeah it has been a nice ride but if I am honest with myself when I was driving Lyft every day after marketplace and on my on the weekends and stuff and checking my bank account being like oh I need 50 more dollars to make my car payment gotta go drive like, <laughs> those parts of those times are not so glamorous yeah. but it is what it is you learn a lot from that mm-hmm. you know and it is the broke diet it's a great diet. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that I feel like is a cool aspect of like that story about meeting someone that you were driving is like kind of something that you were that was instilled in you through Emerson of like networking and just like being a friendly person totally. and just like talking. Yeah. Like, was that something did you think about? driving lift in that way at all or was it just like obviously it was just like it was like okay i just like need to make some money but then also did you ever think of it as like a game of like oh i wonder who i'll meet today um i didn't think about it like a networking opportunity until <laughs> like that kind of happened and i was like oh I, that makes sense i'm driving around a lot of like entertainment industry people it's cool to talk to them um but i also i bartended all through college mm-hmm. and bartending taught me a lot about talking to people and you know being able to talk to any person that comes in and sits at your bar and i met so many really cool people through bartending and some of whom I'm still friends with and like I think that being able to talk to people from all walks of life is really important and I think that's part of the networking thing is like just constantly talking to people and not just talking to people to promote yourself but also learning what they do and how what it whatever their skills are and whatever it is that they do and that they're good at how can we combine our talents Mm -hmm. to make something even better and i think 
that's that I think that helped a lot when I was in driving Lyft and then I did start I was like wait I can meet some really cool people doing this I should just talk to people and some (laughs) people don't want to don't want to talk to you at all when they're in the car and I've definitely been in my fair share of Lyfts and Ubers where I'm like don't talk to me not that bluntly but I like have my headphones (laughs) in and I'm in a mood or I'm trying to you know decompress or whatever it is so you know it's you take it where you can get Uh it but yeah that was cool it was also a really great way to learn the layout of LA really quickly yeah (laughs) Yeah, what what areas were your like were your main uh, main places to drive? Well, I usually started when I left marketplace, and the marketplace offices are in downtown LA. Mm. So, and I would leave there at four. So I usually would pick people up from work in downtown LA and drive them home. Mm So it was like kind of different every day. Some <laughs> days I ended up in like Manhattan Beach. Some days I was in Inglewood. Wow. Uh, some days I was up in the valley. But it was cool because I would just like drive people everywhere. And driving in LA, as a lot of people know, the traffic is trash. Mm-hmm. So you just kind of end up stuck sitting. Yeah. And like even people who get in the car and are quiet after 45 minutes of sitting in gridlock <laughs> are like, has it been like this all day? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'll be like, I don't know. I just got out of work. So <laughs> this is my first ride. And they're like, oh, what do you do for work? And it's you just like kind of talk to people mm-hmm. and it's just you know that that side of the industry is weird but also kind of cool because you can meet people and be like mm, we probably won't work well together so good luck <laughs> yeah. have a good day <laughs> <laughs> yeah and especially like also like that was one of my favorite things about like paing and just being like a runner was like yeah you have to go pick up you know crew jackets in you know gardenia or wherever right and you're like okay what's the best way to get there like and then you're like listening to NPR or whatever you're listening to and you're like mm-hmm. oh I'm getting paid for this this is pretty fun yeah that was one of my favorite parts of PAing was like when they were like we need you to go pick something up and it's in the middle of downtown Boston an hour and a half away uh, and I'd be like cool I get an hour and a half in my car yeah paid and I'm getting paid for the mileage and I can listen to whatever I want to and it's cool I can take calls for other jobs if I want <laughs> Yeah. Was there ever, did you ever have to pick anything up that you were like, oh, this is, or like, did you ever have to go anywhere that you're like, I don't know about this? I had to drive a box truck down Storrow Drive into Boston. That's which so stressful. You don't know Boston. Yeah. Storrow Drive is like, it's a highway that goes kind of through the city mm-hmm. and it's, it's very narrow and it's very old. Is that the, it's terrifying. that's not the one that is like a tunnel? That's not the tunnel. Uh, it comes. It kind of goes through a tunnel when you're coming in from the north side of the city. Okay. It goes along the river. Oh, so it's a yeah, cool yeah, little yeah. drive, but it's. I don't like doing it in like I don't like doing it in my like Honda Civic <laughs> at the time. So yeah, they were like, you need to go pick up all of this stuff at BU. And I had to like drive through the city and I ended up on Sturo and then I had to get off because the truck wouldn't fit under the bridge. Thank uh, God I realized that before yeah. I smashed it because that's super common uh, on that <laughs> on that highway. Um, and then I had to like pick up this stuff at BU, but there was no parking and I'm in a huge box truck. So it's not like I can just like circle and find a spot on a side street. Mm-hmm. And it was a weird thing where I like put the flashers on and like ran inside and like picked these things up and like shuffled them out and put them in the truck. And it was <laughs> one of those things where I was like, sitting in the truck once I got everything in it and I was like still had the flashers on and I was like holy shit I was like this sucks yeah. I hate this <laughs> <laughs> this is not fun and now I have to drive back with all of this stuff in the back of the truck yeah. and then I got back and they were like oh you were so quick thanks that's awesome and I was like oh okay I thought that took 
forever yeah. because I was panicking the whole time. But I, I guess that was quite. I love that. I love that feeling. I that's happened to me a few times where it's like, oh, that was so fast, and you feel like you had been looking for parking for like forty five minutes. You're like, totally. oh my gosh, yeah. I had to do that. I did that for. I had to pick up. I had to pick up pickles, and I had to pick up uh mailing strips or whatever, like from the post office. And it took very me, specific, yeah, very things. specific <laughs> things. Very, they go together perfectly. <laughs> and yeah, it was like I took like two hours, and I got back, and they were like, "Wow, you're back already!" And I was like, "How long does this usually take? Like the pickle runs shouldn't be that that long." Yeah, <laughs> you're like, "Why does it take people that long to go pick up pickles?" Exactly. It's not, but what? yeah, it's the Boston <laughs> situation. I did some driving in Boston and january for a shoot yikes <laughs> yeah they were we were trying to park nope. in front of the <laughs> yeah exactly in front of like the the bain capitol building or whatever um mm-hmm. and someone was shooting like on the same block and so all of the streets were just like coned off all of them you know had box trucks and and you mm-hmm. know all of the grip trucks when and it's stuff. the winter so like half the streets are one ways now exactly. because of the snow and you can't park there because of the snow yeah. and it's like yeah it's a mess there in the yeah, winter <laughs> it was so stressful and i was just driving like a. I think it was like a van or something like that and yeah i was like i i shouldn't be doing this and i think that's the only <laughs> time i drove for that shoot yeah that's always a good time <laughs> yeah exactly i've never had to drive a box truck thanks thankfully um yeah they're not fun i mean i can do it i just don't like if someone is like oh i'm good at this i'm like yeah go ahead you do it like i'll do it but i also might you know back over the curb or something yeah, exactly. like i don't know i don't know what i'm doing <laughs> um so in these in your you know freelance work are you finding your fulfillment in doing the work or I feel like there's a common thing with uh I don't know with entertainment at the moment with like YouTube and stuff like that is that the like fulfillment is in views and in you know Mm. like notoriety and stuff like that do you have like have you had to like reconfigure your like thoughts on that kind of thing or has it always been like I'm just like happy to be you know doing you know xyz whatever it is um and like I don't really I'm kind of dissociated from the uh (laughs) you know the (laughs) the back end of it (laughs) yeah I don't I think I just recently in the past like year or so started thinking about that more like I was still kind of in that like honeymoon phase of I work in Hollywood how cool (laughs) um and it's only like in the past uh, probably like two years that um and honestly since I started actually producing things myself where it's I'm thinking about that more and I think it used to be like oh you just have a YouTube channel like you're not even on TV that's whatever and now it's like who cares if you're on tv you can have an incredibly successful career just on patreon Mm -hmm. or on youtube or like you don't even need to do video stuff like the podcasting is so big now that like you can be famous just for your voice like it's it's like kind of funny how we've come back to like talk radio (laughs) in a way but yeah i don't i used to not really care and for my own personal stuff like my own personal like twitter instagram whatever like i have fun on those sites and this is a good time but like i don't really give a shit mm-hmm. how many likes i get how many views i get how many whatever retweets mm-hmm. it's cool it's fun and it's like been fun to like watch things like grow over time but like i really just like my thing has always been i just want to have a good time like you get one life on this earth and like <laughs> you might as well enjoy yourself and if you're not then like maybe it's time to reassess what you're doing mm-hmm. and i know that that's not a luxury a lot of people have to like just 
change careers or like <laughs> up and move or do whatever. But like, I don't, yeah, I think if you enjoyed making it, I don't really care how many people saw it, which is like not really how you do well here, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it's how you don't have like a nervous breakdown. Yeah. It's kind of the attitude you have to take. It's kind of like people be like, you know, if people are going to hate on whatever you do, no matter what you do it, you can't listen to the haters. And it's hard not to listen to the haters and the people who say things about you that you don't like, but it's true. If you spend all your time worrying about that, then like you're not also not, that's time you're not spending time listening to the people who are like, this was fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So there's definitely a balance to it. And I think if you focus too much and maybe I don't focus enough on it, the views, the downloads, the clicks, whatever. But I think if you focus too much on it, you get you get obsessed with it Mm -hmm. and your quality in turn suffers because you're too busy trying to pivot to whatever you think people want to see or hear Mm -hmm. to get those views up, which is, yeah, you have to grow things. And I get that. But I'm a firm believer that if your stuff doesn't grow organically, then it's not gonna like you can, you know, buy followers, you can buy likes, you can buy views, you can do all of these things that make it look like you're doing really well. But the truth is, unless you're following or whatever is growing organically over time, then it's not genuine, I guess, is the word for yeah, it. Organic. Maybe. But yeah, it, it, I really like things. I like my food organic and I like my engagement organic as well. You know what I mean? Another soundbite. <laughs> <laughs> like that's always my thing that's one of my favorite things about podcasting i think is so much of it i mean with patreon and paywall stuff it's a little different but with free episodes and things it's kind of like if you don't like it then don't listen to it this is free content Mm -hmm. like i don't think it's some people will get online and be like oh this was an awful episode or this wasn't this is a dumb show and it's like it's free you didn't (laughs) pay for it like you don't have to watch it if you don't like it stop listening stop watching stop engaging with it that's Mm. fine i don't care that's your (laughs) choice but like what's the point of getting online and being like this fucking sucks to someone you don't know about something you didn't pay for yeah it's not really constructive so you can't i mean if someone's like hey this would have been so much better if you had done it this way instead of that way that i'm more willing to listen to because that's constructive and i'll take that and be like that might be a cool idea let me try it yeah or maybe I'll be like, that's a stupid idea. I'm not going to do that. But I'll still listen to it more than I'm going to listen to the person who's like, this fucking sucks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I want to talk more about like specific uh, shows and, and all of that experience. Sure. But first, it's time to hear from another member of PA Nation. This yeah. is Walkie Talk. So uh, this is an experience a listener has had uh, at their production job. She writes... The first day of my very first PA gig was probably the most intense PA day I've ever had, and I'm so lucky to have gotten it out of the way when I was still naive and desperate for exposure. It was a short gig on an indie feature film uh, in my town over the summer. I was told to meet at their production office, but wasn't told what I'd be doing. Once I got there, another PA and I were told that we'd be standing in during their location scout. So we got in their car and drove a half hour to a secluded location that didn't have any cell service. Looking back, a thousand red flags. Standing in ended up being eight hours of hiking up and down hills covered in dead grass, stickers, and all kinds of things that poked and prodded us. Running back and forth over and over, belting lines from the script while we were hiking laying down in the grass and dirt to stage a more intimate scene, and the whole time it's 100 degrees and I'm in jeans and toms. Somehow every scene involved running, going uphill, or just standing in direct sunlight for long periods of time. At the end of the day, we were caked in sweat and dirt, and my ankles were bleeding from all the stabby plants. And I did all of this not even knowing if I would be paid. But I'm not complaining. I genuinely loved every second of it, and I probably would do it again. But I've never had to. 
or even heard of any other gig requiring so much physical labor. It felt like a clear test of, do you really want to be in this industry? That validated the career path that I was contemplating. And I should note that the crew was awesome and caring, and it was a very fulfilling experience. I just still can't believe that they had us do all of that, and we didn't even question it. So I feel like that's a pretty common. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm kind of shocked that they were like, hey, uh, show up here and like wear sneakers. Yeah, at least I feel like that. like that's always my thing. Like, I mean, I always in every PA job I've ever had, I always wear like sneakers mm-hmm. or running shoes or something comfortable yeah. because you are going to be on your feet mm-hmm. for a long time. But like usually there's like, hey, we're going to be in the sun. Bring your sunscreen, yeah, bring sunscreen. or bring your water a bottle. water bottle yeah. or something like that's kind of insane. I think that's why people who are it's like producers producers on sets always have like bags full of random shit but they're like a walking pharmacy like Uh they always have sunscreen ibuprofen advil like whatever you need um and i think that it comes from things like that not being prepared and being like super uncomfortable because of it yeah yeah it's it's wild to me how some people can get to a place of like you know being a production coordinator or whatever and just being like i know that it's a very you know hectic job and there are so many moving parts but just like Mm -hmm. not even having like a template of like okay every email i'm gonna send out like for the rest of my life as a production coordinator is gonna include like bring closed toed shoes bring all this stuff because like you don't know if this like this pa was like it was her first time like being on set and yeah i mean i don't know if i'll be in the office or if i'll be outside so i guess i'm just gonna wear my toms or whatever it is you know it's yeah. like i don't know or keep an extra pair of shoes in your car i guess yeah. like i usually do that i always have like an extra shirt in my car in my trunk that's just there in case or whatever you know you end up having like it's like growing up in new england there was always a raincoat in the car <laughs> or, or an umbrella hanging out somewhere yeah. or whatever but yeah that's it's like even when you have a shoot like not even a location scout but like a shoot you have a call sheet and like the call sheet always has a lot of the vital information mm-hmm. you need to know about what you're going to need to be prepared for for that day. Yeah. And you, they could have at least said they were going to be outside because yeah, exactly. that implies enough that you could have prepared better. Yeah. But like it sounds like she took that in stride and has a really great attitude about it. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah. Good for her. Uh, yeah. It's <laughs> it's funny. The idea of also like not necessarily knowing if you'll be paid or not i feel like that's another yeah that's a huge that's a huge thing it's funny she was like it's the good thing i was so hungry for exposure and it made me think of like the people who are like i don't i can't pay you but like it'll be great exposure mm-hmm. and it's like okay let me call my landlord and see if he takes exposure <laughs> in turn for rent because yeah. i doubt he does yeah. um it's funny at the beginning of the pandemic someone reached out to me to do like a lo- location sound for a shoot which i don't really do and I haven't since college and I don't have a rig for it and I'm just not that great at it because I'm out of practice at Mm -hmm. it um so I don't usually like recommend myself for stuff like that but he like reached out and asked if I would do this thing he was like it's a small budget it's 12 hour days for 100 bucks a day Mm. and I was like this is insane that I am I don't know five or six years into my professional career and you still think that I'll take 100 bucks for a 12 hour day also that's I'm that's illegal. <laughs> like, that's what that's that was part of my response. And he was like, and if you can, is there anybody, you know, that could do it? And I was like, um, I understand the struggle of a small budget, but that's under minimum wage. And I assume that's one hundred dollars a day before taxes. Yeah. Um, So it's even less than that yeah. in the long run. And I was like, I don't do these types of projects or recommend my colleagues for projects like this, because I do believe in fair compensation for people. Mm-hmm. If you require people there for 12 hours a day, they should get at least minimum wage, if not more than that or 
for at least lunch. I don't know. Yeah. But I was just kind of like, I try to advocate for proper compensation because those like exposure gigs are so common. Mm-hmm. And I think they're so exploitative of so many people. Yeah. And I mean, not to say that I never did a job that didn't pay me because it was great exposure. But most of the time it was like a friend needed a favor mm-hmm. and I was helping out my friend with that favor. Yeah. And that's fine. But I'm, if I don't know you, I'm, <laughs> I don't owe you any favors. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to, you know, take this crazy thing. But like, especially during like these times right now where things are so uncertain to like require someone to show up on a set and then not pay them yeah. properly is just insane. So always like be wary of those exposure gigs. <laughs> and it's something like for some people who didn't have the experience of like a film school or any kind of like, you know, networking in a school, it's like potentially, at, at least for me, I felt like, okay, I'm like kind of behind on all of this. And like, I do need to like meet mm. people and stuff like that. And I guess I sure. do have to like kind of sacrifice for certain things, you know, like money or whatever it is just to like right. be on a set and like to hang out uh, with people. Totally. When I guess that's kind of like internships are like yeah. that. And a lot of people will do that through their internships. And then when you like graduate college it's like disconcerting when you're like I already did this yeah exactly I can't believe I'm still doing this but then you know at the same time I'll be like yeah I'll do that (laughs) (laughs) yeah if you have any onset stories you'd like to share email us at panationpodcast at gmail.com or find us on twitter and instagram at panationpodcast hell yeah let's take a break and we're back. So you mentioned having that kind of uh, twist of fate, meet cute situation uh, <laughs> with uh, Feral Audio. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Like, because I feel like that's such an important learning experience for people to be a part of companies that mm-hmm. end up kind of imploding or, you know, yeah. kind of <laughs> have a metamorphosis and getting bought or, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, totally. Um, Yeah, that was an interesting experience. I started at, at Feral, I think it was in like August or September of, oh, Lord. 2016 is that right yeah 2016 no 2017 who knows <laughs> it was uh, it was not long uh before because all feral really imploded around christmas time mm-hmm. um i actually think the the old uh fe- the founder of feral posted like a whole thing online on christmas day which is the best time to post something right and i remember being at home i was like my first it was like what i hadn't been in la all that long and i was home with my family and it's just like finding out that this job that i had gotten was maybe going away Mm -hmm. and i was gonna show back up in la with no money and no job and a rent to pay Mm -hmm. and i was like well merry fucking christmas (laughs) (laughs) um but it was an interesting job it was fun to get in studio i met a lot of cool people there the truth is that studio we used was at starburns so it was a lot of the starburns people around um and so i got to meet a lot of people there who are part of that group and work on a lot of podcasts with people. Um, I met, I started working on Jackie Johnson's podcast, Natch Butte, and I love her dearly. Um, I don't work on it anymore. Um, but I worked, I did her, I did, I think I mixed just about a hundred episodes of her show mm-hmm. and she was, she's great and high, super high energy. And, um, I met a lot of people just like it being in the studio, like even just being an engineer where I was not even recording stuff. I was going to mix just being the one who was in the studio that day recording stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to record a song thing that Dan Harmon sang for Rick and Morty, which I love cool. doing cause I love Rick and Morty. Uh-huh. Um, and that was cool. And that was cool to like watch the next season and be like, ah, I recorded that. How cool. <laughs> that like that's, that's sick. So cool. And it was, yeah, it was a cool experience. And then when the feral stuff started happening and things sort of started imploding, it was very much like I just kind of froze and I was like, I'm just going to sit still. 
and I'm just going to watch and see what happens. If I get let go, I'll deal with that. But I'm not going to like post things and say things. I was like, I don't know what's happening Mm -hmm. and I don't know how you're supposed to handle something like this. And I was just kind of, I was young and naive and I think I recognized that. And I was like, I'm just going to sit and wait Mm -hmm. and see what happens. And luckily I got to stay on at Starburns, which was great for my bank account and my (laughs) rent check. Um, And things changed a little bit and they, they kind of, you know, morphed into Starburns audio instead. Um, And I kept working for them for like another year. And then they started bringing engineers in-house their work in-house instead of hiring out more freelancers. Um, They offered me a full-time job. It was not enough money to justify taking it. So I didn't take it Mm. obviously. Um, And then I, they, took slowly took all my shows that I worked on there away from me until they got I only had Jackie's show Natch Butte left um and they were gonna take that away and Jackie and I were like nope no we have a great (laughs) system we work very well together like we're a well-oiled machine don't fuck this up Mm -hmm. and so they agreed to pay me just a flat rate once a week to do just her show so I don't even know if I qualify that time as being on the Starburst (laughs) payroll it was more on Jackie's payroll Uh but that that was an interesting experience to watch a lot of shows leave and go to different networks and I was I don't want to say I was lucky to be there for that because that's not I don't necessarily feel lucky but I a couple of the shows that I worked on while I was there the reasons I ended up other places I worked on a show with Morgan Murphy who's a Mm stand-up um and she's great called Los Feliz the podcast Uh super small podcast about specifically the neighborhood of Los Feliz like very niche little thing um and she left when all that happened and she went over to All Things Comedy because All Things Comedy is a production company podcast network for stand-up comics Mm -hmm. It's like an invite-only podcast network. I think it's invite-only. I don't know if that's real or not. But <laughs> either way, it's it's mostly just for stand-up com- comedians. Mm-hmm. And she went over to... She agreed to do her show there. Um, and she told them, uh, I'll sign on with All Things Comedy if I can bring my engineer, Emma, with me. And God bless her for it. <laughs> She's the best. And I had no idea she felt that strongly about the work I had been doing for her. Uh-huh. And it was one of those moments where I was like, oh, I don't need constant validation from people. I just need to do good work. And it, <laughs> it validates itself. And so All Things Comedy got in touch with me through Morgan. And I went in and interviewed with them. They were like, it's actually kind of convenient that Morgan wants you to keep doing her show because we need a little bit of help in our studio with some of our other shows. Would you be interested in working part time for us? And I was like, hell yeah, I'm always <laughs> down. Uh, and that's how I ended up at All Things Comedy. And I've been there for almost three years now. Actually, I started working for them the same month I started working for Doughboys. Wow. What a month. It was. Yeah, it was a wild <laughs> month. It was a similar situation where the the, the boys left Feral. Um, and Yusong was producing for them at the time and they needed a new engineer and Yusong and I had worked together on a bunch of stuff and I love Yusong and he reached out to me and was like, Hey, Doughboys needs an engineer, um, like a fill in engineer for a little while while we figure out what the next move is. Can you fill in for a little bit? And I was like, yeah, sure. I had mixed a few things for them. Um, when their previous engineer, Dustin couldn't, uh, do it or whatever he was 
AWOL or whatever. He wasn't around. <laughs> and Yusong would call me and be like, hey, can you give a quick mix to this Doughboys episode? And I would slap it together. And I was like, yeah, here you go. Mm-hmm. And so he called and asked if I could fill in for a little while. And I just have never left. And it's kind of the same thing at ATC. It was like Morgan's show doesn't exist anymore. We don't do that show anymore. But I'm still there. And I'm still working for them <laughs> and doing shows with them every week. So yeah. that stumbling thing that I do. <laughs> <laughs> Is it difficult? The thing that stands out to me in all of those stories is the confidence to say no that for me if someone asks me to do something like i've had situations on pretty big shows like honest like really good shows for like the resume that Mm -hmm. pay horribly like really bad Mm -hmm. and like are borderline like unethical yes and i still say yes and i have like a bad time doing it and it ends up like reflecting i feel like in in my work totally it's never a good situation but it's like ah it's good for the resume like it's enough money it's not great all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I need to kind of develop that skill of being like, okay, I'm just going to like wait. I'm just going to sit, which I feel like you have naturally or maybe you developed it. Like how how do you, is there a thought in your mind of like, oh, what if I don't, what if I don't take this Starburns thing or whatever it is, you know? Yeah, I don't, Um, I think part of it is I'm just a very, I tend to be a very patient person, Um, almost patient to a fault sometimes where like I probably should speak up before I do. Um, but I think I think there's value in thinking before you speak and thinking before you act as well. And that's obviously not always possible. But like when the feral thing started happening and I decided to just like sit quietly, my head engineer at the time was like, if you want to leave, I fully understand. Just let me know what shows still need to go out this week and I'll take care of them. Like he gave mm-hmm. me a full out mm-hmm. to just leave. And which I appreciated, but truthfully, I just could not afford to not get paid. (laughs) (laughs) So I had to work. Um, But I, I do think there's value in being in, I think it's important to understand your value. And even if you're new and green in the industry, if you went to school for four years to learn how to do something and you're now working in that field, you've been learning how to do this for four years. And there's value in that time that you've spent learning that skill. And I think it's really important to remember that and to factor that into your value. Like, yes, you're green, but you're not stupid and you have ideas and like, don't be afraid to ask questions, but also know when it's important to be quiet and listen. Mm. And that's one of the things in Hollywood, especially, is everybody really wants to talk all the time. Yeah. Everybody loves to hear themselves talk, whether it's in a meeting or on a set or whatever. And <laughs> I remember my mom telling me once, and I think about this all the time, that the person in the room who talks the most probably knows the least. <laughs> and it's actually, in practice, pretty accurate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so I find it... you it's much I've learned over time that it's much easier to sit and observe a situation for a second and then react to it Mm -hmm. and that's kind of what I think I did with the the feral thing without realizing that's what I was doing I mean it's easy to look back and be like I was just sitting and seeing how it was gonna go when the truth is I was a little paralyzed like I didn't know what to do Mm -hmm. um but I do think and I think this is something that a lot of freelancers learn really early on if they're freelancing is that like your time is valuable and it's really easy with the constant threat that you won't have work it's really easy to overcommit yourself and agree to doing a bunch of things because you're so scared of that downturn where you don't have a lot of work and those happen and they're scary but i think it's important to look at your bandwidth and 
I, that's usually the word I use when I have to turn things down is I'm like, look, I would love to work on this and I would love to help you with this. I just don't have the bandwidth to give you the time that it deserves right now. Mm-hmm. And if I can, I'll suggest somebody else who might be able to do it. And honestly, sometimes the truth is I don't want to work on that project or I don't <laughs> want to like, you know, I loved working at Marketplace and I could have taken a full time job there and I didn't because I didn't want to just like mix news stories forever. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see what other opportunities I have. Maybe I would come to regret that down the road. But it's I'd rather find out than just like take the safe route and then be like, shit, what if I hadn't done that? Yeah. Like, what if I had, you know, taken that leap into Starburns or whatever? And the truth is Starburns didn't pay that well. And I was very young and the only girl on the team. And there was I had a lot of issues with my time there, but I learned so much from that experience on how to kind of advocate for myself and my time and the value of my time. Mm-hmm that that's so important to learn and it's important to and I'll do that sometimes where it's like if this job someone offers me a gig and it's kind of one that like I really should do it it's a good name I don't really have the bandwidth for it at the moment like time wise like I'm already busy but I should probably do it I will just say I can do this but I will give them a really high price and the (laughs) truth is if they're willing to pay that really high price then I'm willing to find the time to make the work happen you know what I mean and if they're not then that's fine but that's the price I need that's the money I need to sacrifice my time to make this happen Mm -hmm. and i think that's important i think people are scared i'm very scared to negotiate money i hate talking money it's so uncomfortable i hate asking for more money yeah it's the worst and i think that's there's this like thing where it's like it's taboo to talk about money and it is i don't like when people are like oh yeah i got so much money look at all this money in my pocket look at this (laughs) fancy new whatever good for you don't you don't need to flaunt it Mm -hmm. but at the same time you have to be able to sit down and be like okay i've been doing this for how long i do this this way and i'm i'm better than these other people or i'm not better than those other people and being able to assess your value and and know that over time your value increases like you get better at what you do every day and that over time you it's okay to ask for more money and it's okay to call people and be like hey my rates are going up Mm -hmm. And if they can't afford that, then maybe that's the end of the road for me and you. And you should bring in someone else who can now learn what I just learned. Like find someone who's younger or Mm -hmm. new and then give them the same experience that I just had. It's okay to let things go in a way. Um, But yeah, it's very important to be able to say no. And it's really important to know when you're saying yes because you want to do the work and or you're saying yes because you need work. Those are two very different things, I think. Yeah. And it's such like it, it leads to such a bigger, question maybe not question topic of like living within your means and like knowing Mm -hmm. like all of that kind of stuff I feel like we don't we aren't taught that kind of stuff in school and so I feel like when you (laughs) get thrown into the real world you're like oh how much money do I need to like survive and like pay for insurance and pay for my car and all of that kind of stuff and it's uh, like I feel like you had a good experience with like okay I'm gonna like live with like my roommate that I've lived with for a while and like Mm -hmm. probably like probably like living you know cheaply uh you know on the cheaper side of things meal prepping every Sunday so that I don't have to like buy food exactly it's so like that's such uh something that I feel like people don't talk about in like the entertainment industry because it is like you know I don't know it is that kind of thing where it's like people are doing well and they show it and it's like oh I'm and they flaunt it and it's like good for you but like if your show ends tomorrow are you still going to be doing that well in a month like it's not I think having money is great but having 
long-term health and comfort in your life is better. And I think um, I that was one of the things that surprised me a lot, like when the pandemic started and things started closing and shutting down, how many full-grown adults I know who are older than me and much more seasoned in the industry than I that had zero savings. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, it's very hard to save money, especially with the rents as high as they are mm-hmm. and things like that. And I totally get that. But at being a freelancer, I've always had downturns where I don't have a lot of work. And so I always kind of like, try to save as much as I can when I'm working so that when I have those moments, I'm not constantly panicking about where my next next rent check is coming Mm -hmm. from. And so I always try to put as much money away as I can. And my dad always said, save 10% of everything you Mm -hmm. make and you'll always be okay. And they, my dad was always very, he and my mom as well were great about teaching me to save my money and understanding the value of my money. Cause I worked, you work hard for that. Like to throw it away on frivolous things is kind of crazy. Not to say I don't buy frivolous stuff. (laughs) I mean, I smoke weed like crazy. It's, (laughs) you know, that's frivolous, but it's fun, you know, Uh but the, I do think it's important. Yeah. To understand your value and the and and yeah living within your means or under your means under like, your means is so important yeah like just because you can afford to buy a first class ticket at home do you need to mm-hmm. no just save yourself a couple hundred bucks and like you know buy your mom a better birthday present or something yeah. there's some and there's that yeah i think the thing is hot with hollywood i think too is that like the way people are paid the money has like kind of fallen out of the bottom of things so to speak like there's so many people who like work so hard and are so well known in the industry who are still living paycheck to paycheck Mm -hmm. and they're on tv and they're on tv shows but they still don't have money and it's like how is it possible like there's this misconception i think that just because someone's on tv that now they're rich yeah and it's like that's not really true Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) at all yeah and the the money kind of always goes into the same deep pockets up top and the people at the bottom kind of end up doing all the work and reaping none of the benefits mm-hmm. so to speak which is maybe not it's definitely not true in like every in every situation and there's there's different stories in different places mm-hmm. but i find that to be like that's the funny thing about podcasting is i've noticed since the pandemic like people in podcasting have gotten more vocal about their agreements with their networks and stuff Mm. and like their ads and they're more willing to do ads and stuff Mm -hmm. because their side hustle now just became their main (laughs) hustle yeah and there are a lot of i think there's a lot of people who do there's a lot of work in podcasting that goes unpaid Mm -hmm. and on or underpaid and that's fine i guess but like not really i mean if this is your full like that's the thing but it's like for so many people podcasting is their side hustle Mm -hmm. but for me it's my main hustle yeah and so a lot of times i'll get messages or offers from people that want me to edit or mix their podcast but they have no money to do it with Mm -hmm. and it's kind of like oh i can pay you 20 bucks and it's like well it takes me three or four hours to do that so i'm not going to do that for 20 bucks and as much as i want to help you out while you're getting your podcast started this is my livelihood this is my living and this is how i live my life so i can't just like throw favors for people everywhere and like mix this show for free or whatever and you know every once in a while yeah sure i'll grab one or if someone's starting out and like it's a friend of someone and they're like hey can i pick your brain about podcasting sure i don't mind some people charge consulting fees i don't do that Mm -hmm. i don't really care i'll (laughs) offer you advice um i won't tell you my secrets or show you my settings on my stuff but i will (laughs) (laughs) i will talk to you about it and recommend microphones and and zooms or scarlets or whatever you need to get yourself started something that's interesting to me thinking about the different 
types of media out there and what is compensated and what isn't is that podcasting is kind of this weird middle ground of it is kind of press but it's also mostly entertainment so it's like you know it's almost like you know a a documentary if you're doing a documentary you're not gonna like pay people to be in your documentary because it's like unethical because it like shifts their perspective or whatever totally the thinking is on that but then it's like but you're like doing this show like for me like i a goal on this show is like i would love to pay guests i would love to you know all of that stuff and i think that's something that's really cool with the dope boys i'm pretty sure Mm -hmm. you you pay your guests and you pay for the food and you do you you mm-hmm. know, all of that stuff, which is like such a cool example. And I feel like Weiger and Mitch uh, Weiger, I feel like is more vocal about just like the economics of the entertainment industry in general, as yeah. far as like writing goes and like WGA and writing totally. packets and being compensated for packets and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's like one of the reasons I wanted to start this podcast is like, oh, I want to be part of that where it's like, let's talk about this stuff where you know if if everyone knows about it people will be more you know informed and can you know affect change in in these industries um right and that's partially why i love working for the boys and working for nick and mitch is because they do truly respect my time and the work that i do for them and they respect their guests and their guest time Mm -hmm. and it's a i mean it's taken a while obviously we've the show's been on uh, going on for what five years now so it's been a while it's been going for a while and they've it took time to get there and they definitely you know lost money the first few years they were doing it but now that they're there they do have a successful patreon and we have ads and it's a bit it's a decently sized show i think they didn't just like they're not just taking that money and stuffing it in their pockets mm-hmm. like they're paying their guests they pay when we're i when we're on the road they pay for everything on the road they pay me very well and they and they advocate for my time and my the money the value of my time mm-hmm. and like every every year um weiger and mitch make sure that you know my hourly rate goes up a little bit mm-hmm. and like they increase and the- i didn't even the first time that happened i didn't even ask for a rate increase i was thinking about asking for rate increases across the board um and then i just like got a message from nick and mitch that was like hey uh new year new rates here you go that's so and I was cool. like, that's fucking awesome yeah. and that's how it should be mm-hmm. and that's one of the reasons that i like I'm so willing to give them so much of my time and energy and put the effort that I do into that show and mixing that show and making sure that it sounds as good as it does is because they respect my time and I'm way more willing to put effort into something when they're willing to put effort back into me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And there's so many, that was one of the issues I had with Starburns and some of the other places I've, you know, gigged at is like, they don't necessarily respect the time. They just want you to do the work and they don't really care about the person doing the work. It's more that, and maybe that's not true of Starburns now. I haven't been there in a very long time, so it's probably not fair to say that, but there's a lot of places I think that they just they respect the product but not the person creating the product mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah like, totally they want it mixed well but they don't want to pay for the time i did i interviewed at this place um, um and i won't name it but it was um they mix movie trailers uh, a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and it was a really intense interview and i had to go back for a second interview where they gave me a pro tools test and I was in one of their studios and I was given a project, like a video file and an OMF, which is an OMF is just a file. If you don't know, it's just a file that's used to transfer the sound from a video editing project into a sound mixing DAW of sorts. Um, so you import an OMF into like Pro Tools and it's all the clips that the video editor put in there, like lined up and in time where they're supposed to be and 
with automation on them if they drew it and stuff. And so I, they were gave me that and they had they wanted me to conform it into a Pro Tools session because it's essentially what I would be doing. Um, and then it went really, really well. And the, I was talking to the guy for a while and I felt really good about it. I was really excited. I was like, oh, it'd be so cool if I was working on movie trailers. How fun. <laughs> and then they offered me the job and I was so stoked and they offered it so low. It was like 700 bucks a week before taxes. Ugh. And I was like, and this is in the, it's in the middle of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they're out in the Valley yeah. or somewhere different where it's cheaper to live or something. Uh-huh. It was dead middle of Hollywood. And I remember being like, the, I was like, that's kind of low. And I asked if I could keep some of my freelance stuff mm-hmm. on the side. Cause if that's the case, like if I can do that, then like, sure, I can do it for less money because I can supplement my income, mm-hmm. but they wouldn't let me keep anything. I had to give up all my freelance contracts and only work for them. And I was like asking, I asked for more money. So and insane. to be honest, I asked for a significant amount more money to be fair. But like I, the guy came back and was, and said, well, it's an entry level job. Ugh. And I was like, okay. And he was, but when they offered me the job, they were like, we stopped. We didn't even finish out our interviews. You were so great. Like your <laughs> skills and pro tools were awesome. Like we really want to offer you the job. Is that something you're interested in? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And then they sent over the offer letter and I saw the compensation and I was like, whoa. And he was like, well, this is an entry level job. And I was like, this is an, ent- maybe this is an entry level job, but you liked my skills and you want me to do it because I'm not an entry level person. Mm-hmm. That's why my pro tools test was better than the other person's yeah. pro tools test. Cause maybe they are new to this and they are green and it isn't, an- they are an entry-level person Mm -hmm. and so maybe it makes sense to pay them less because they're not they don't have the experience that i do but the reason i'm good at what i do is because i have the experience and if you're not willing to pay for that experience or you're not going to respect that i put that time in to get to the point where i'm at now then i don't really want to work for you and i and i obviously didn't take the job and the and thank god because i would have had to leave doughboys and that would have sucked yeah um but it was one of those moments where I was like, that sucks. Like if it's an entry level job, that's fine. But then don't interview people and like, don't, it's just, it was a, it made me feel gross. Yeah. I felt really icky after that. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't, I was like, it was just not nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's awful. But it's so great when you have examples of good experiences, like with Doughboys, yes. like how has your role changed from starting as an engineer? Now you're a producer and also you're pretty prominently featured on a lot of episodes <laughs> like what is that what has that process been like it's been so it's been surreal honestly to think back on it um there the f- cool thing is like even when i was an engineer uh and you song was producing and it was just like the four of us uh plus susser so i guess five of us um were it was it's just a very well-oiled machine and it's a very collaborative environment in a lot of ways where Technically, I was just the engineer, but I was always down to help Yusong with stuff. And if I couldn't make a recording, Yusong knew how to run the equipment so he could do it and he could send me the files. And so we kind of traded back and forth. And it was like we have that's kind of what I was saying earlier about like the arbitrary nature of titles. Mm -hmm. Titles are cool, but the truth is it was really a group effort and we couldn't do it without like the other. And when we were on tour, um, when we did our East Coast tour um, and Yusong and I were you know, running all over the place, all over the Eastern seaboard, getting (laughs) things ready for shows and finding food and checking into Airbnbs and hotel rooms and blah, 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 blah. That was one of those things where like, if we had just drawn the line of these are producer duties and these are engineer duties, Uh we both would have lost our fucking minds and nothing would have happened productively. And also a lot of those things are like PA duties and you're like, well, you're not going to truly get a PA PA. for the East coast. (laughs) Right. And that would be, that would be insane. Yeah. Um, and, but it, it's just the collaborative environment really helps. And the fact that like it, in, in the conversations about whatever it is, whether it's what 
theme month we're gonna do or what the schedule is gonna be it's like very it's not just okay we want to do it this way so make it happen it's like does that work for you and mm-hmm. like when we're scheduling records and stuff it's always like yeah that works for nick yeah that works for mitch okay emma does that work for you too and if it doesn't work for me then we pivot and we figure out a way to work around it same way we would do obviously if nick or mitch couldn't make that work mm-hmm. or whatever and it's it's very much a team and a and i always call our little feedback episodes that we do on patreon our fam family episodes mm-hmm. and they it really is like a little family like when we had breaks between records when we would record in person we would get dinner and we would hang out and we would just like chill and like i love touring with them and i'm really bummed we were supposed to tour a little bit this year mm-hmm. and it obviously isn't happening um but it's it's a such a collaborative environment that like when you song left that was such a bummer because i love loved working with him and he's great but it was also so exciting because we were so excited for him and the opportunity he was getting to go work on this show and it, it, of course it was awful to lose him but it was like dude yes good for you mm-hmm. fucking crush it go do that like fuck this podcast go <laughs> go do that go do that sick job that's awesome and it that was cool to see too just like I think a lot of times people get like assistants or something who are very good at what they do and they don't want to let them go. Mm -hmm. And so they'll kind of hold them back and not let them grow or be, or, you know, move on to better and bigger things for themselves because they're selfishly want, they selfishly want to keep them around to do the job that they're currently doing, Mm -hmm. which that's great. If you're good at it and you love it and you want to stay there. Awesome. But I don't think like people are meant to grow and change and move on to different things. And they were so supportive of you song moving on and he's obviously still comes on and does the feedback apps with us. And he's still, you know, part of the, part of the Doughboys lore. <laughs> I should say the ghost of you song. Um, but yeah. And then, so he, when he left and I just kind of took over what he was doing and it was a little haphazard. I was just like, okay, so now I email guests and now I set up a calendar, I guess, and read the email and <laughs> the Patreon messages. And it was just kind of like, and I was like, do I have the Twitter login? Um, he ran the social media for a while because i hate i don't like running social media for things yeah, it stresses me that out is so, and it's that's not my the thing most thankless job in la it really I feel is like. it, it totally is and it's the worst mm-hmm. i mean i don't even like running my own social media yeah. and i like that it's my own so i can just like ghost <laughs> off of it for a few months if i want um but so he kept running social media and he was obviously always still around and down to answer any and all questions i had about things or whatever and and then we ended up hiring um robert persinger who is he's been a motto or reddit subreddit for a while now a couple of years maybe i don't even know i mean doughboys is a very active online community mm-hmm. they're very vocal um and i love them and hate them for it <laughs> uh, but no they're great they give great feedback and the truth is we i read those reddit threads like crazy because i want to hear what they have to say i want to hear you say that the episode sounded great and i want to hear you say that it sounded like shit like (laughs) i want to hear all of it because i want to take it like i said if it's just criticism and you're just like fuck this i don't care away with you but if you have productive things to say that are constructive that can make this better then yeah of course i want to hear that Mm -hmm. um and it was it's robert's been great to have on the team and he's much better at uh the organization of email uh, than I am. Uh, I think when he logged into that email the first time, he was probably like, what the flying fuck has Emma been doing with this? Um, but like, I also was not, I was still working on all my other stuff. So I was still full-time employed and then picked up these extra responsibilities. Yeah. So I was a little, and it was over the holidays and it was just kind of all over the place. But um, it's been, it's, it's one of my, it probably is my favorite job 
um, that I've ever had. And it, it's truly just that like, it's such a collaborative and supportive environment. And if something's not working, even in my, in my personal life, I'm having an issue with something I can tell Nick and Mitch that like, Hey, this is happening. And like, I need to take a few days to like not do this. And they're like, okay, well, whatever you need, let us know. Mm -hmm. And they're totally fine with it. And it's just a very warm, welcoming community of people and the fans as well. They're great. And they're very supportive. And like, we've been having issues with stitcher for the past couple of weeks where things aren't showing up. Like apparently they're having back end issues and like the people will post that in Reddit and I'm always respond and say, hey, we're going to get this fixed. And they're always like, no worries. We don't <laughs> care. Just keep doing what you're doing. And it's like, that's so, it's just nice to have a community that's so supportive. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a direct reflection of the way Nick and Mitch ha hold, like handled the show. Mm -hmm. Like the community is a reflection of them in a lot of ways. And that that supportive nature is because they're, I mean, they beat the shit out of each other on the show and they <laughs> do it in private too. I'm not even like that. Our group chat gets feisty sometimes, <laughs> but that's, you know, that's, that's the nature of having a creative partner in anything. It's like, I mean, even like my boyfriend and I get feisty sometimes, but then we also love each other intensely. So it's like, you know, you have to have both to, you have to have one to have the other. And as long as you have a good balance, it's good. And that's one of the things I love about them and then being on the show like being having a mic and being able to talk on the show it was never my goal and when the fans started asking that we set up a mic for you song and i i was like that's weird i have to have a <laughs> microphone like i kind of like felt comfortable being like this distant voice in the corner mm -hmm. <laughs> um but it's been a lot of fun and it's not as scary as i thought it would be i mean three years ago if someone emailed me and asked me to be on a podcast i would have been like fuck no <laughs> Nobody wants to hear me talk. <laughs> Thankfully, I didn't start this podcast three years ago. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it's good timing. It's all Sarah's, <laughs> I guess. But yeah, it's a it's a fun show. I love it. Yeah, them. yeah. And now, like, you're, you know, you're, you do Steve Rancisi's podcast, right? Like, you're on there yep. a fair amount. Like, what is your, just like, wrapping things up a little bit like what is your ultimate like it seems like you're very content with with everything that's happening now are there things in the future that you're like oh this would be great like you don't have to say like what they are or anything like that but like I'm just curious as someone who isn't like a like an audio engineer and all of that kind of stuff what is the end goal for that kind of work I used to think my end goal was to like mix movies and or tv shows and that still would be super cool. And I do um, mix a lot of the all things comedy, like web content stuff, mm -hmm. like something's burning and wrist of fury and those types of shows. Um, that's, I mean that the team over there is great and I love mixing those shows, but I think I'm realizing, um, especially in the pandemic and stuff, I'm realizing that it's not really about, it's not always about the work you're doing as much as it is the people that you're working with and the like mission. I don't know if mission's the right word, but like if you feel good about the content you're creating, mm -hmm. that's way more valuable than being able to be like, yeah, I mixed that movie. Like the, that's cool. And I would totally want to do that someday maybe, but I'm also not not um against doing something else i kind of like i said i stumbled into this career entirely and i stumbled into so many of the jobs that i have that like i'm okay to just keep stumbling and <laughs> to kind of see where the world takes me i mean um i do i've always said i wanted to make a documentary i have a brother who's the love of my life he's special needs he's uh 30 but he's mentally about five mm. and he's just a complete and total ray of sunshine mm -hmm. and i 
and I want to share him with the world because I think the world needs his pure good mm-hmm. um, so much, especially right now. And I've always said I want to like make a documentary or document his life a little bit mm-hmm. and just like, I mean, the special needs and disabled people don't have much of a platform yeah. and I think it would be cool to give them one. Um, and that maybe I guess is a long-term goal, but that's also something that like I'm not rushing into and I'm not trying, I'm not pushing desperately to get that done. I want, again, I want things to happen organically Mm -hmm. and to kind of come to fruition how they need to. Um, I'm a big believer in, in like karma and what you put out is what you get back. And I, that's why I think my brother's the happiest person on the planet because he only puts out good vibes always. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I, I don't know if I have like an end goal. Um, I said this to my dad a couple weeks ago and he was like, well, I don't know if that's true, but I do. (laughs) I've thought about this a lot that like, I think I don't, so many people in Hollywood have like a goal to get their own script made into something or write their own thing, create their own thing. And I don't, this might be hypocritical after I just talked about a documentary I want to (laughs) make, but I, I don't always, I don't think my end goal or my mission in life is to necessarily create my own things. I've always felt more comfortable supporting other people's creative ideas. Mm -hmm. Not to say that I'm not creative myself, but I really love someone being like, I have this idea and I don't know how to make it happen. And I love being like, okay, let's figure out how to make it happen. I'm just not always the one with the idea. I'm usually not the one with the idea, (laughs) but I, if you throw an idea at me, I will bounce it back at you and I will spitball with you Mm -hmm. and I'll soundboard with you and I'll brainstorm and mood board and whatever it is that you want to do and i love that i love a collaborative process i'm not independently on my own a very creative person in that way but if you put me in the room with the right group of people or like if i'm surrounded by people i like like even the with the boys like when we're just like in the at the bar on in the bar on tour or whatever like goofing and riffing on stuff like that kind of stuff i love that and i love a collaborative environment and like i just think i want to i kind of want to just make a career i think out of supporting other people's ideas mm-hmm. i guess yeah and i don't I know if that. that's a weird goal <laughs> i don't no, know if a lot awesome. of people do that <laughs> i love that that's exactly what i want to do like i love that yeah, okay. the <laughs> the curation and cultivation aspect of like la and just like entertainment in general like that's my favorite thing is finding like you know if they're your friends even better but if it's just like random people online and you're like oh i really like what you're doing and just like you know reaching out to yeah. them and being like, what do you want to do with this? Like, that's my favorite. Cause it feels like you're, you know, you're allowing someone to, you know, explore a part of them that they need encouragement to explore. If that makes sense. You know? Sure. Yeah, totally. Like, I just love that, that feeling of being like affirmation, just like throwing it at someone and, and seeing like what they do with it is like so fun for me. Yeah. And I love when people are talking about like an idea that they had and they're like, Oh my God, don't you think it would be so funny if we did a show that was, you know, bunch of people hanging out on a roof. I don't know, whatever it is. And you're like, yes, but it would be so much funnier if they all had on weird costumes yeah. or something. Like this is a this is a very bad example. Yeah. But no, I, I love think when people perfect. like <laughs> <laughs> costumes on a roof. Yep, got, it. got it. Uh working on that tomorrow. <laughs> um <laughs> but I love when people are like, oh my god, don't you think this would be a really funny idea? And then you're like, wait, but it would be so much funnier if we did it this way. And they're like, yes, that would be so good. Mm-hmm. That's that's so funny. And like that feeling of like even if you're just like at the bar or like in the backyard like goofing and it never goes anywhere fine but like if it does also great Mm -hmm. like I'm so for that and I love that's like I just like love a collaborative environment and I don't 
I think it's funny, like a lot of people, like I said, a lot of people in Hollywood, like they're here doing this job because they have an end goal for themselves Mm -hmm. to get their script made or get their movie done or whatever it is. And there's nothing wrong with that either. I think those aspirations are great. I just don't always uh, empathize with them and I don't always connect with that concept because that's not necessarily what I want for myself. Mm -hmm. But like if you want to do that and you need my help, I'm so fucking down to do that. Yeah, I love that. That's that's one. It's something that I've thought about for a while and I've been trying to figure out what it is. And I feel like what we've been talking about is like kind of the end goal of that. But like growing up like you did theater as well like mm-hmm. doing theater and like doing you know if you're doing like improv or something like that like horrible scenes or whatever I was never the one to like initiate it was always like someone else would throw out the idea and then I would go with it and I was like yes. the you know the theater teachers would always be like just initiate just like throw something out and it would always be like I don't have that thing but like I love supporting those people right and I feel like there needs to be more encouragement of those types of people because it is something like even you now you're like I don't know if that's like a thing I I don't know if that makes sense it's like yes that's like the best like i don't know like for me that's the best kind of uh creative because it's it's not selfish it's not you know it's not self-aggrandizing it's like you're just like you're there for the other person and it it fosters a sense of community as well which i really like strive for yeah like i'll i'll yes and an idea all day but (laughs) i don't have the idea you know yeah totally totally yeah i love that and so just like final final thoughts of like looking back you know are there things that you wish you had known at the beginning of your career that you're like kind of coming to terms with now um yeah like i was saying earlier how easy it is to overcommit yourself Mm -hmm. um and respecting your time and the value of your time i wish i had had a better grasp on that concept when i was younger because there were definitely times where i thought i was doing well because i was so busy Mm -hmm. and the truth is i was super busy and i had a lot to do but because I was so overcommitted to things, I was the work I was doing was not the best I could do. Mm -hmm. And so if you can't, that's what, like what I was saying earlier, like if you can't give something your full attention in the, like I use kind of Doughboys now as my thing. Like if I, if I can't give this the attention, I would give a Doughboys episode, then it's probably not fair for me to take that job. Mm. And it's not even just like, it's just easy to say yes to everything and being it's it's okay to say no i guess is what i wish i could tell my younger self like if you don't want to do something or it's going to stress you out to take on that job or that task or go to that dinner thing with your friends or go to that bar later or whatever it is doesn't even have to be professional stuff like valuing your time and taking care of yourself because if you can't if you're not well taken care of by yourself and if you're not functioning at your highest ability you're not going to do good work. And I think so it's so easy to get so wrapped up in just saying yes and being like, look at how full my to-do list is. <laughs> I'm doing great. And it's like, no, you're not. You look insane. Like, go take a nap. Yeah. Like, your to-do list being full is not always good. And I feel like when you ask people a lot of the times, like, oh, how, like, when you see someone, you haven't seen them in a while, and you're like, oh, how are you? And their first response is, I'm just so busy. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, like, you, that, I wasn't asking if you were busy. I was asking, <laughs> how are you? Like, yeah. are you okay? Are you good? Are you healthy? Are mm-hmm. you happy? Like, cool, you're busy. Does that make you happy? Like, yeah. I don't know why that's your first response. And I've been guilty of that, too. People be like, oh, how are things? I'm like, great, so busy. And yeah. it's like, that's not always... Being busy is great, but also being content and happy is so much better, Mm -hmm. I guess. And like 
just valuing your, I wish I had, could tell my younger self to value my me time. Yeah. And the things I like, I read something the other day that was like, if you don't make time for your wellness, you'll be forced to make time for your illness. Whoa. And it hit me pretty hard. Cause I was like, that's so true. Like if you just like don't take care of yourself because you're too busy doing other things, that's going to catch up with you. And then you're going to be forced to take time mm-hmm. to kind of remedy that so like yeah just make sure you take time for your wellness Mm -hmm. like it's very important and like especially now like self-care is such a thing but like it really is important to like take a walk and go outside and like today was a crazy busy day and busy morning usually my Fridays are super chill and I don't have that much to do because all my shows for the week are done um, and I'm usually just kind of organizing things, checking the schedule, filling out the invoices, doing like the menial tasks that go along with everything else. And for some reason today it was just super busy and I had a lot to do. And then I like at one point was like, I need to go the fuck outside. And I went for a run and it was one of the best runs I've had in a long time. Hmm. And I think because I was just like so pent up and then I got home and I was like, I feel so much better. And it was one of those things like five years ago, if I was that stressed out, like I was like, not that I was that stressed out, but if I felt the way I did this morning before I ran, I probably would have just kept working through the to-do list because I would assume that the empty to-do list would make me feel the way I felt after I got back from my run Mm -hmm. sort of. And like, I would love to tell my younger self to just go outside and go for a run and look at the sky and feel the sun and like touch the grass for a second and like put your feet back on the ground and your head back in the clouds. Mm -hmm. Cause if you're not grounded, nothing good's going to happen. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's beautiful. That's a, that's a great way to end things. Thank you so much. (laughs) Do you, is there anything uh, you'd like to plug? Um, can find me on social media if you want. Um, it's, um, Emma tree everywhere. E M M A A T R E E on Twitter and Instagram and um I mean just uh go outside and touch the grass and stare at the sun. Not directly at it, but like <laughs> stare directly you know, near it. <laughs> Straight stare from the sky. <laughs> stare at the sun. <laughs> or if it's nighttime, go outside, see if you can find some stars. I don't know. Awesome. Thank you so much, Emma, and uh we will see you all next week. Bye. Bye. I'd like to thank Emma for taking the time to talk to us and my producer Liz Moppin for helping me put this episode together. I'm Cooper Peltz, and this has been PA Nation. See you next time.